Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. And as you make your way there, um, as we dive into this word this morning, we'll see a great reminder that Peter's going to tell us to remain steadfast in our faith in God's will. So as we... Verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Thanks, Rich. Well, good morning, everybody. Let me give my greeting to you as well. And before we get into the message this morning, I just want to ask you, how are you guys doing? We have one great. That's, that's fantastic. You know, I, I think about you a lot. Um, I pray for you a lot. I think about all of the things that are happening right now uh, with increased exposure with this virus, with many people um, having very strong feelings about the election and the legal process that is ensuing with the fact that we're entering a holiday week uh, and some of us are going forward with family plans, and other of those plans are being canceled. And there's just a lot going on right now, isn't there? There's a lot of heavy things that I think people are processing. There's a lot of things that many of us are, are tender about. And so I just, I want you to know uh, that we pray for you, and that we care very deeply about how you're doing. And for those of you at home uh, as well that can't be here for any variety of reasons, um, know that there's a, there's a pastoral staff and elders, and I hope that you're praying for each other uh, during this very, very unique time. I think the book of First Peter speaks to us uh, in wonderful ways in the midst of difficulty. I think that the idea of suffering uh, and trials and tests is something that none of us like to talk about, and yet all of us need to hear about. Uh, I think that when we think about the nature of suffering, as we've said over the last number of weeks, that suffering itself takes on many forms, and we'll talk a little bit more about that this morning, uh, and in those many forms, God does a variety of things. Uh, David Paulson once said, that in the hands of a loving God, sorrow and suffering become the doorways into the greatest and most indestructible joys. John Piper wrote, 
there are rare and wonderful species of joy that flourish only in the rainy atmosphere of suffering. The reformer John Calvin once wrote, you must submit to supreme suffering in order to discover the completion of joy. And the Puritan John Bunyan, upon many attacks on his character, once said, Therefore I bind these lies and slanderous accusations to my person as an ornament. It belongs to my Christian profession to be vilified, slandered, reproached, and reviled. And since all of this, nothing but that as God and my conscience testify, I rejoice in being reproached for Christ's sake. I fear that there are some things in this life, in our relationship with God, that we will only experience in the context of difficulty and even suffering. And throughout 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4, we've been encouraged to suffer for the sake of the gospel, but to do so in a certain way, to follow the Lord Jesus' example in this. And here, as Rich read just a moment ago, at the end of 1 Peter chapter 4, we see an exhortation of how we are to think about suffering, how we're to think about it, what God does in response to our suffering, and what is our response going forward in the days of suffering, should they be upon us. And so how are we supposed to think about suffering? Well, look at verse 12 with me. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised. (laughs) That's the first way we think about suffering. Now, we tend to think of the Christian life, as we've said before, as one that's supposed to be of ease, of one that's supposed to be of comfort, of one that's supposed to have a level of acceptance. But Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. Fiery trials can be any number of difficulties in life. Any number of difficulties in life in which my expectations for comfort, for ease, or for acceptance are not met. And when Peter says, don't be surprised, that's another way of saying, you should expect this. (laughs) Christians, you should expect some kind of trials in your life. Expectations. This is a matter of expectations. If we don't expect hard things in our lives, then when they come upon us, we are tempted to say things like, God must be punishing me. Or, God must have left me. Or, God, how could you do this to me? But, if you expect trials in your life, when they come upon us, we ask a different set of questions to God altogether. If you expect that trials will come to you, you say things like, God, I know 
that you love me, but this is really hard. Please help me. God, how can I serve you even in the middle of this tremendous difficulty? God, please give me the strength I need to be faithful to you and endure this horrible thing that is upon me. You see the difference, right? The way that those questions of God are framed is all related to our expectations. Your expectations with regard to trials will in some ways dictate your response to trials. And so, Peter says, don't be surprised. Expect these to come upon you. He also says in verse 12, how are we to think about suffering? He says, don't think it strange. Look with me again. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't think it's strange. In other words, this is normal. <laughs> it's normal for Christians to experience suffering and trials. And if these fiery trials are things that challenge our ease and our comfort and our acceptance, then I wonder what we could expect. What types of things are normal? Well, to expect trials means that you can expect, like those that Peter was writing to in exile in the first century, you can expect that there will be times in this life when you lack a sense of power or position. It means that you can expect that there will be times in life when you lack a sense of stability or permanence. It means that there will be times in this life when you will have physical difficulty or the ones that you love will have physical difficulty. This means that there will be times in life where you will be the recipient of verbal abuse or possibly physical persecution for the sake of your stand on the gospel. It means that there are times in this life, to expect trials means that there will be times when Satan himself attacks you and you will need to withstand his onslaught. So don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. This is where, just as a very brief aside, this is where those who claim a health and wealth gospel are so far removed from the teaching of Scripture. Those teachers that would say God only wants to bless you through comfort or through ease or through health or through wealth. That that's the only way God blesses you. Well, this is the opposite of what Peter is saying. Peter is saying there's actually tremendous blessing, but sometimes this blessing only comes to you through the most difficult of circumstances. And so don't be surprised. <laughs> don't think it's strange. And then he says in verse 16, do not be ashamed. Look at it with me. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. In our time and place in history, probably 
for many of us, certainly for myself, the vast majority of trials or difficulties, or you might even say suffering, that I've experienced would come in the form of verbal ridicule or scorn because I'm a Christian. Verbal ridicule or scorn because you take a stand to live your life in a way in line with the way that God talks about it in the Bible. Verbal ridicule or scorn because you're so bold as to share the good news of Christ with somebody else around you. We've said it many times before that there used to be a dynamic in our country where to be a God-fearing person was something that was honorable, culturally speaking. But that time is gone. Our culture has flipped. And today, if you are an ongoing, outspoken, God-fearing person, there will be some that will put their faith in Jesus because of your witness. And there will be many who will ridicule you or think less of you or scorn you. And so Peter reminds us, in the midst of that, you feel like shrinking back, but don't be ashamed. Don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. But don't be ashamed. Glorify God for the very sake of the name of Jesus that they are ridiculing you for. And this is what Jesus says in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. And don't be ashamed. Life is hard. (laughs) But this is where we begin to see the good news in this message is that God does something through suffering. He does many things through suffering. And Peter points to three. So what does God do? Well, one of the themes that we see throughout the whole Bible is a thread that starts from the beginning and works its way all the way through to the end. And it is a theme of suffering to glory. That there is a dynamic for God-fearing people of suffering that ultimately results in God's glory and in God's glory Because his glory is the most valuable thing, when you see it, when you know it, when you experience it, you have the greatest amount of joy. And so there is this tremendous reversal that happens that there are some things that you can only experience about God and his glory through the context of suffering, the, thing you, the very thing you do not want, which produces the very thing, the greatest joy that you could not otherwise have. Let me show it to you. Look at the passage with me if you have your Bible open, and we'll have some of the verses up on the screen. From suffering to glory, we see it in this passage in a variety of ways, and it points us to some great ideas. Did you notice how many times the word glory comes up in just these few short verses on suffering? It's it's striking. He says in verse 11, 
The verse immediately before this, again talking about suffering and our response and being sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of our prayers and loving one another, so that in everything, verse 11, God is glorified through Jesus Christ. God is glorified. To Him be long glory and dominion. Verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad in his glory. Verse 14, when you're insulted, you're blessed because the spirit of glory rests upon you. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers, let him glorify God. In Peter's mind, there is a whole lot of glory that happens and comes along with the context of suffering. And here's why that's so important. It's important because in my finite perspective on life, I naturally think that if I'm suffering, then all things must be hopeless. Because of our finite perspective, we think that if something is happening that is suffering, that it must be outside the will of God. Because of our finite perspective, we think that there's no way that God could possibly be glorified if his children, the one that he loves, the one that he died for, the ones who are co-heirs with the son Jesus, there's no way that God could be glorified when they're experiencing scorn and shame and difficulty and physical suffering. We think that there's no possible way in our finite perspective how suffering might actually be good for us. And yet this is a foreign way of thinking to the characters of the Bible, to the faithful men and women throughout the history of God. Think about Noah, who was persecuted, ridiculed and scorned because he was righteous in the days of wickedness. So wicked were the days that God flooded the earth. And yet, he saw glory in the physical salvation of the ark floating on top of the water, suffering to glory. Think about Abraham, who faced trials of all kinds from foreign rulers and ultimately a test with regard to his own son Isaac only to see a glimpse of the glory of God in the expanding of his progeny with the number of stars in the sky. Suffering to glory. Or Jacob who suffered as a servant to a father-in-law for twice as long as he should have due to deception. Year after year after year after year of unmet promise only to bear 12 sons to become the father of a nation and to be renamed Israel. Or you think of his son Joseph, who suffered persecution at the hands of his jealous brothers to be sold into slavery and in slavery to be falsely accused after going after the master's wife and to be wrongly imprisoned. Only to be 
elevated again and become the savior of his brothers and his nation. A savior in the eyes of Egypt and in the eyes of this fledgling people of Israel. Suffering to glory. Or King David who is constantly being pursued by King Saul in fits of rage and jealousy and demonic attack, he drew near to the Lord and writes again and again and again that his hope and his refuge is found in God, that there is nothing sweeter to his life than to be in the presence of the Lord, that he longs to hear from God, that he longs to know God, that he longs to find his hope and his joy complete in God himself while he hides in a cave as someone seeks his very life life to be called the man after God's own heart and the greatest king that Israel knew and the forefather of Jesus himself. That's suffering to glory. Or when you think about the New Testament, we could give example after example. I think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. You remember the story of Stephen who preached the gospel among the Jews, who was so spirit-inspired by them that he was willing to suffer and even suffer to his death. But in the closing moments of his very life, he saw and experienced something that far outvalued that entire life. He saw a glimpse of glory. And it says in Acts chapter 7, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stomped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Suffering to glory. Or the Apostle Paul, that same one who witnessed Stephen proclaiming and enjoying and experiencing the very glory of God upon the moment of his death, who would later tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that he was persecuted for this gospel, imprisoned, flogged, lashed, beaten, shipwrecked, and constantly in danger from Jews and from Gentiles. This suffering apostle who would become the greatest missionary and the greatest theologian the world has ever seen, bar none, save Jesus, suffering to glory. Or Peter, who writes this letter that we read today, who was imprisoned for preaching the gospel only to be released by angels. How is that for vindication? who suffered persecution only to found the church and establish believing communities that would stand for centuries to come 
that would make the suffering of his upside-down crucifixion totally worth it. That's suffering to glory. Or John, the one who Jesus loved and for his love for Jesus was boiled in oil. and survived. Exiled to an island for prisoners. To receive a vision from God about eternal glory and judgment, which we call the book of Revelation. and to experience that glory that would come. And that, of course, points us all to Jesus, who is the perfect example of suffering to glory, who lived the perfect life, who came to bring light into the darkness, to seek and to save the lost, who was fully God and fully man, who came so that we might experience and see God, was arrested, was beaten, died a criminal's death on a cross, and even worse, bore the sins of all of humanity, past, present, and future, so that penalty would be paid, and if we would put our faith in him, then we too would be restored to God and saved. Unjust suffering. But he rose again on the third day, and hundreds saw him. He ascended to glory, where he sits at the right hand of the God of glory, and His glory will have no end. Suffering to glory. And so you see, from suffering to glory is this prominent theme for the life of Christians in the Bible. We could list dozens more examples and millions more, practically speaking, people who, like you, would never ask for suffering in your life. And you don't know what God is doing in the middle of your suffering, in your marriage, in your job, with your kids, with an illness, in a political persecution environment, ridicule and scorn. You have no idea what God is doing in that moment. But the millions that have gone before us, now looking back on those moments of suffering and seeing what God had done, getting a glimpse of how he worked it all together, would never trade it for a comfortable life. And so Paul even says in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that be, will be revealed in us. 
Here's what Peter's getting to. When you entrust yourself to God in suffering, you will be exalted when his glory is revealed. When you entrust yourself to God in suffering, you will be exalted when his glory is revealed. And God will display his glory through your suffering if you're one of his children. And so if you're suffering, my friend, right now you might be suffering. Don't be surprised. (laughs) Don't think it's strange. Don't be ashamed. But entrust yourself. Entrust your very soul to God. And you will be exalted when his glory is revealed. There's two other things that we touch on this morning that God does through suffering. We see in verse 12 that there's a dynamic of suffering and testing, isn't there? That verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. God tests us in suffering and he does so because testing produces steadfastness in the life of a Christian. You know this to be true in almost every other realm of life. That until you are truly put to the test, you can't break the barrier of your growth. A basketball player never gets to be really, really good unless he or she is tested in the grueling battle on the court and their skills and their abilities expand as a result. The same is true for you, Christian. Christian never really grows if you're not pushed to the limit of your steadfastness through the fiery trial, only to see God then expand that steadfastness all the further. And that happens through the context of trials, testing, and suffering. God does something else through suffering as well. He exercises judgment. Verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Sometimes God allows us to bear the consequences of our actions. Suffering is one of the ways in which he makes clear who are his children and who are not. It's also one of the ways that he disciplines us. That God doesn't seek to undo us, but rather he disciplines us. Now, I have three burning bushes outside the front of my house. They're called burning bushes because, as you might know, in the autumn, they turn from green to fiery red, and it looks like they're on fire. Not only are they cool for that reason, but they're also cool because, of course, they remind us of the burning bush in which God appeared to Moses. These burning bushes turn red every autumn. Well, at least they're supposed to. But the past few years, my burning bushes didn't turn red. They just sort of went dormant and all the leaves fell off and it was winter. And a burning bush that doesn't turn red is just a bush. It's not a cool burning bush anymore. It's just a bush. 
And so every year I give the burning bush a light pruning a couple times a year so it keeps its shape. But this past year I thought to myself, these burning bushes, these stupid burning bushes haven't turned red for the last couple years. I'm going to try something radically different. I'm going to cut these things way back. I'm going to change their shape a little bit. And maybe, just maybe, this will change their overall appearance in the long run. And they went through the summer and they grew and they were green and they looked like just a normal bush. And then as autumn came and the night started to get cold, guess what happened? They turned red again. Christians, sometimes God prunes us way back (laughs) so that we will not grow dull so that we will not blend in and fade away, sometimes God disciplines us, he prunes us, so that we will continue burning bright red for his glory to a world that desperately needs to see a bunch of bright red people who don't just fade into the background because they see it and they hear it and they know it because they stick out in the midst even of their suffering. And so he concludes, let those who suffer according to God's will, verse 19, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's not saying that you need to look for suffering. Peter is not saying that we need to long for suffering, but he's reminding us that suffering is normal, that we should expect it, and it is a God-ordained part of the Christian life that has so many purposes to it, including God's glory and your joy. The very thing you want, great, abiding, lasting joy, God brings to you through the very thing you don't want. (laughs) Difficulty, trials, and tests. And so entrust yourself to God. When you entrust yourself to God in suffering, you will be exalted when his glory is revealed. Let me remind you today, if you're suffering, if you have trials, if you have difficulties, and you just don't know, you can't see why or how God is going to use it, what do you do? Well, you do the next right thing. You keep pursuing faithfulness. You keep pressing into him, relying upon him. And one day, one day you will see how God accomplishes this in your life. The way that God brought the whole Uzbek villages to Christ in the 20th century is perhaps a beautiful illustration of suffering to glory. Let me share it with you as we close. Bill and Amy Stearns tell about this in their book called Catch the Vision 2000, and the key player in the joy of so many Christians was the atheist, murderous dictator named Joseph Stalin. Thousands of Koreans had fled what is now North Korea in the 1930s as the Japanese had invaded the nation. And many settled in Russia around Vladivostok, 
When Joseph Stalin in the late 1930s and early 40s began developing this town as a weapons manufacturing center, he deemed that the Koreans were a security risk, and so he split them up and he relocated them into five areas throughout the Soviet Union. One of those areas was Tashkent, which is now the capital of Uzbekistan, and it was the hub at that time of the staunchly Muslim people called the Uzbeks. 20 million strong. The Uzbeks had for hundreds of years violently resisted Western efforts to introduce Christianity. And as the Koreans settled in and around Tashkent, the Uzbeks welcomed their industry and their kindness. And within a few decades, the Koreans were included in nearly every facet of Uzbek culture and life. As usual, God's orchestration of global events, he had planted within this suffering, relocated group of Koreans strong pockets of Christians, and little did atheist dictator murderer Joseph Stalin know or suspect that these Koreans would actually not only begin to enjoy a wildfire revival among their own people, but that they would also begin bringing their Muslim, Uzbek, and Kazakh friends to Christ. The first public sign of the Korean revival and its breakthrough effects on the Uzbeks and the Kazakhs happened not long ago, just June 2nd, 1990, when in the first open-air Christian meeting in the history of Soviet Central Asia, a young Korean from America preached to a swelling crowd in the streets of Alma-Ata, which is the capital of Kazakhstan. And the result of these roundabout, decades-long maneuverings by God to position his people in inaccessible places is that Muslims who would not have otherwise received missionaries are now confessing Isa, Jesus, is the way and the truth and the life. This was a costly strategy for many believers. For the Koreans to be uprooted from their homeland to settle again, and then again to be divided and uprooted to a new place in Tashkent. This was a severe test of their faith. Trials, tests, sufferings. Could they possibly stand fast and believe that God was good and that He had a loving plan for their lives? But they entrusted themselves to Him. And the truth was that God did have a loving plan not only for their lives, but also for the unreached Muslims among the Uzbeks and the Kazakh people. And in hindsight, we see suffering to glory. And they would never trade the suffering away for comfort because the glory is worth it. So entrust yourself to God. When you entrust yourself to God in suffering, you will experience and be exalted when His glory is revealed.
Let's pray. Father, we would never choose suffering. We confess that to you now. Some of us are in the midst of suffering and struggling mightily. And today, God, we confess that we entrust ourselves to you. All of us need to prepare for suffering of some kind, knowing that when we cling to you, we experience the joy that can only come on those rainy days. And so God, help us. Provide for us, prepare us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.